This is episode 323 of The Real Man, colon, a movie podcast. On this episode, Chase is going to take a look at some of the movies that he has missed over the last two months. All that and more, this episode starts right now. What's going on, everyone? This is Chase Lee for episode 323 of the Real Me and Cold Movie Podcast. Before I begin, uh, please spread this episode around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, even though I've only been doing them like once every month, two months. I don't even know anymore. My brain is mush. But uh, how are you guys doing? You know, it's been a hot minute uh, since I've done one of these things. I think the last one I did was in March or April. I think it was April. So it's been a couple months. Uh, but that was the last one I recorded before I moved uh, from my old house into the house I am currently in. Uh, this is not my office space that I'm recording in because that looks like a um, a storage container on Storage Wars. It looks really bad in there, so I have to get in there. I have to rearrange some stuff, and I'm hoping to make it look, you know, somewhat decent. Um, <laughs> so, you know, just make it look okay, uh, just average for the people out there. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, um, it's going to take some time to organize the office, paint it, uh, decorate it, make it look kind of snazzy. Um, it's also going to be my game room. It's going to be, um, you know, pretty nice and everything. So for right now, it's just going to be recording in a barren room and I'm going to have the fan on because it is hot as a beep up here, you know, a mother beep. So, you know, if you hear like a, a swooshing or a whirling that's what that is. I don't uh, mean to have the extra background noise, but it is um, harder than the Dickens up here. You know, the Dickens. So, but yeah, how, how are you guys doing? I hope everyone's doing well. Doing well. It's, um, you know, the summer season has started, so I hope everyone can find time to take vacations and, you know, take those days off because, trust me, people need that. You know, if you have all your PTO hours banked up, take a day. Say, you know what? I'm going to take this day off. What are they going to do? Fire you? No. Just be like, hey, listen, I want to take this day off. I want to do my thing. You just tell them which day, and you don't even question it. Just do it. Um, you know, there's a couple of uh, vacations I got coming up, and I don't care if it's busy. You know, I got the PTO times. I'm going to burn them. Uh, so why not? But um, that it, it's really important to take those days off and kind of clear your head uh, mentally and emotionally and physically because it, you know, it can just be taxing sometimes to go through the same repetitive schedule that you go through with work and everything. And it's just nice to have a day where you do nothing and relax and, you know, maybe listen to this podcast or go on a walk, go on a trip, you know, just whatever calms you. I think it's really important to do that. Uh, speaking of mental health, um, I am still going to therapy for anxiety and panic attacks and stuff. And, you know, like I was telling you guys earlier, some of that anxiety does hinder me from doing this type of stuff. Not because I'm afraid to show my face on camera or, or put my voice out there. It's just more of like the compartmentalizing of everything and organization and getting these things done because these things take time to, you know, set up the camera and the mic and to shoot this thing and, you know, edit, put it together and throw it out there. Um, it, it's just a lot. And so, when I go to work and I come home, sometimes I'm, I'm just too tired to do it. And, you know, that's where my anxiety just kind of creeps in. I'm just like, that's too much. And then I end up being a lump, you know, like a little potato uh, for, for two months. And I just don't do anything. But now that I'm fully moved in, I feel like I have a, you know, I guess more motivation to do these types of things now. 
you know, I wouldn't have recorded this uh, episode that I'm doing for you right now if I didn't feel, you know, like I, I was motivated to do so. And like, I've caught up on all these movies. I'm gonna go through every single thing I've caught up on. And that way, by the time like, you know, In the Heights comes out and uh, some of the more ones uh, come up here soon, I can start being a little bit more repetitive uh, with my um, spacing of these episodes and stuff. And that way I don't have to lump everything together after, you know, one or two months of binging. Um, I can just uh, do them weekly. That way you guys can watch whatever you or listen to whatever you want. And you don't have to, you know, sift through this entire episode for this stuff. So I'm hoping this is the last like compilation, uh, you know, review episode that I'm going to do because I want to kind of break these up for you guys like I normally did. So that's what's kind of going on with me uh, mentally and everything. Um, you know, just my, my headspace and just what's, what's going on. Because sometimes guys, it is, it's a chore (laughs) to, to do this, but I like doing it. So, you know, that's why I'm kind of glad I did this episode. You know, my friend, um, that I saw, you know, last weekend, you know, he listens to the podcast and he, you know, he was saying that I should get back into this and I, I should. And so like, that was a nice little motivational boost to, go over that last little hump that was, you know, in my mind that like I didn't want to do. And I really want, I wanted to, I was just like, you know what? You're correct. I need to get back into it. I like talking about movies. So why not? Uh, and who needs another movie podcast? Anyways, there is so damn many of them online. It, it is hard to uh, differentiate yourself, but you know, I, I am very grateful for every single one of you that has stuck around with me this entire time, even with the long breaks and everything. So you know, I'm making it work. As long as you guys stick with me and be patient, then I will be fully grateful for that. So I really, really appreciate you guys' support. So what have I caught up on? Well, uh, TV-wise, uh, it's been pretty pretty amazing. Um, you know, I, I watched Invincible, uh, watched that whole season. That was fantastic. Uh, my wife and I are watching The Nanny right now, which is on HBO Max. We just kind of like, that's our... Um, that's, that's one of the shows I watch before I go to bed. It's, it's nice and calming. So like my anxiety isn't like having my mind running at a thousand miles per hour, um, before I go to sleep. It's like, it, it calms it. So that show is doing wonders and it's really funny. It's just really charming. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, what else have been, have I been watching TV wise since the last, I don't know. It's been, it's been, it's been a while guys. Um, Shadow and Bowen, uh, we watched that one. That was pretty nice. Uh, you know, it was one of the better, I guess, like YA adaptations that I've seen in quite some time. And I didn't think the long TV show format would would help it. Like I, I felt like I was gonna get bored after like episode one or two. But I found myself to be really invested into the world building and just the characters and the the situation that was going on. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was very enjoyable. What else? <laughs> Oh, Mayor of Easttown on HBO Max. Very good show. Um, Kate Winslet can do anything. I've always been enamored with her. You know, Titanic came out when I was, what, seven or eight. So I've been a fan of hers ever since. Um, and as a young boy seeing that movie, I think I think you know why right off the bat. But, you know, that prompted me to watch more movies with her in it. And, you know, as I got older and started to mature with my taste and everything in, in film, well, I wouldn't go too too far with that. I do like the the Fast and Furious movies, so maybe my taste is garbage. But uh, I wanted to kind of broaden my my scopes, you know, with uh, the cinema spectrum. And so, you know, I really liked uh, watching 
everything with Kate Winslet, and this show is no different. She is absolutely amazing on it. Uh, Evan Peters, uh, it's just a really good little mystery. Uh, we we enjoyed that. I, I missed the weekly HBO Max Sunday night, uh, you know, shows. You know, she was a Game of Thrones fan before I met her. We binge watched through those, and then we watched the final season together when they aired live, and that was really nice. And the Mayor of Easttown, and all these like detective shows, documentaries. Like, I love the uh, Sunday night kind of uh, weekly, um, you know, episodes. It's been it's been great. So, and I can't really recall anything else in the past two months. It's just been hectic, guys. I mean, we moved into the new house, and we've been getting a lot of things fixed up, and you know. Yeah, <laughs> seems like every single day there's a contractor coming out and uh, they knock on the door and they're just like, excuse me, we're here for this. And I'm like, you know, kind of staring at them and I'm like, oh yeah, we did. We, we called for that. <laughs> so once again, guys, the brain is mush. But yes, um, that's enough about me. Let's dive right into this. So the movies I'm going to be going over today, and this is not going to be a four hour long episode. I'm getting better at kind of like making sure my points are concise. They're shortened. They're condensed, and I'm not just going to ramble on and be boring. So uh, I'm going to go over Mortal Kombat, uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead, Army of the Dead, Cruella, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and maybe a surprise one that's been one of my favorite things to watch this year. <laughs> what is it? I don't even have a clue. I got to open up the IMDb page, so I don't even have a clue. But that is the rundown for this episode. So when we come back, I'm going to go over Mortal Kombat, Those Who Wish Me Dead, Cruella, yeah, and then I'll leave the other two for the other half, so keep on tuning into this thing, because there's more coming. Welcome back to episode 323. I am your host, Chase Lee, for Real Me and Cold Movie Podcast. Let's jump in. To some of the things I have missed, and you're probably going to see a theme and a pattern here that I have chosen mostly the ones from HBO Max, the ones that have been releasing uh, in theaters and on HBO Max on the same day. Honestly, that's just the ones I've had time to watch. Um, But, you know, I I have missed movies like Spiral and A Quiet Place 2, and maybe I'll review those. Um, It might be a hot minute. Um, because I'll probably just rent Spiral now at home for 20 bucks, and then Quiet Place 2, if I don't get to that, it's going to hit Paramount Plus soon, so, you know, there's that, but uh, these are the ones I have caught up on, and so let's start with Mortal Kombat. Now, a little history with, uh, you know, like the previous ones from the 90s, uh, I was a kid when they came out, I thought they were the coolest thing ever, so it's like, you know what, if you want to keep making these things, they're going to be cheesy, they're going to be corny, going to be stupid at times you know it's going to be hard to adapt this thing and it's really funny because when like these movies came out and stuff um you know i was like there's a story that you can tell with mortal Kombat," and everyone's probably listening to this you know thinking like you idiot there's like a tournament mode and a story mode on the mortal Kombat games i didn't know that uh just like with grand theft auto i never played any of the story i played like a little bit but like grand theft auto i would just steal cars and cause damage as much as i could to see if the cops could chase me mortal Kombat, i would just play with my friends and you know like the free play mode and everything or the co-op or versus mode or whatever it's called um as you can tell i am 100 percent a gamer uh 
Uh, I have no idea what I'm talking about half the time. But yeah, so when I heard they were going to do a new Mortal Kombat film and like James Wan was going to produce it and everything, I was like, well, first of all, if James Wan's going to produce this thing, he's going to go hard R with it. And uh, I, I cannot wait to see just the, the blood, guts, and the glory that comes with Mortal Kombat because let's be real, that's why people play these games. The, fatal, the fatalities. That was the most redneck thing I've ever... <laughs> that's ever come out of my mouth my goodness um so anyways yeah mortal kombat uh the r-rated version uh you know the synopsis mma fighter uh cole young seeks out earth's greatest champions in order to stand against the enemies of the outworld in the high stakes battle for the universe and in this one if you're branded with the mortal kombat dragon logo on your arm uh you you have been chosen i mean that's basically that's what it is so um yeah <laughs> I can tell you one thing uh, that is very impressive. I forgot every single thing about this movie. 100% forgettable. Um, to start out with some of the good, you know, the fight sequences are pretty cool to watch. You know, uh, there's definitely like some choreography there that took some time to nail down and to really kind of um, accentuate the the violence and just the, the grittiness of it. Uh, and it was just cool to watch um and that stuff's not easy you know you have to have you know your choreographer your stunt person your actors you have to have all that kind of line up to perform a two-minute scene sometimes and it might take months to execute so i do think the preparation when it comes to the action sequences well they're not the best things i've ever seen once again this is more combat guys more combat um it, it was still those were cool to watch where there were 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 there a lot of them? No, but uh, I, I still enjoyed it um, nonetheless. So those were cool. Uh, you know, a lot of people have a problem with the CGI blood. I was kind of so-so with it. It's whatever. How was the story and the characters? And the kind of like world building that Mortal Kombat kind of creates because there's a lot going on. And this spans across many, 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 many uh, just vast pieces of land i'll say well some of the sometimes i had no idea where they were at but um once again kind of forgettable um it is basically just there as the backbone to get you from action sequence to action sequence that's about it um you know are some of the performances like are, are they worthy to carry the movie i like josh lawson uh, here as uh, Kano, I thought he was the most absurd one, but he was giving it like 100% um, cheese into his role, and that's what made it really fun to watch. Um, and there was even a couple times where he was terrifying. Um, so he definitely, I, I think, had the more entertaining role and more entertaining performance out of everyone else. To be honest, everyone just kind of blended in. Uh, at the end of the day, it was just kind of like this cauldron of average performances that, like I said, you know, they serve their purpose, but they are there to carry you from action sequence to action sequence, from fatality to fatality. So, they tried. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's really nothing more to say. As you're going to see, there's a theme with most of these movies. They're kind of just <clears throat> there. Um, production design-wise, creating some of these, you know, uh, battlegrounds, uh, for these action sequences, they're cool. Um, you know, uh, I, I like the the in fight with uh, Sub Zero 
and Scorpion, uh, you know, the cold guy and the one with the prickly thing uh, coming out of his hands. Uh, I'm talking to everyone as if they've never, ever played this game. Um, but if uh, you haven't played this game, that is my best description of it. The cold man and the one with the prickly thing coming out of his hand. So, yeah, the in battle with that, that was kind of cool. It was like, it was layered. Uh, even had like the um, chain link fence kind of a little octagon thing going on and like upstairs a bunch of you know layers and stuff so that was kind of cool it adds you know it adds movement it adds excitement to the scene but i mean that's honestly it i mean i can't I, I, there's really nothing more to discuss do they set it up for a sequel yes they do uh do i want to see it yeah absolutely uh just because i didn't really care for this one uh doesn't mean i, I don't want to see them try uh, sometimes the first movie does not work out, and then the second movie is pretty okay or pretty good. So um, I, I want to see a sequel. I would like to see where it goes because you can kind of take this anywhere. It could go into other worlds. It could, you know, um, hop to a different dimension. I have no clue. Go crazy with it. It's Mortal Kombat with a K. So it's not even spelt correctly. So if you want to go absolutely insane with it, it's like, you know, just just do your thing, man. I support it. If you want to go the Fast and Furious route and just make it just completely insane, you got you got my approval as if as if you needed it. So, uh yeah, I thought Mortal Kombat was uh, pretty forgettable. Some cool things uh here and there, but um it's whatever, but I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel. The next one is uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead. This one stars Angelina Jolie and uh she is a uh kind of firefighter watchtower um, member of the fire squad, where she kind of goes up there, and she just makes sure everything is okay, if she sees, like, some smoke or whatever, she can, like, alert someone, like, so she's, she's the eyes of the operation, uh, but she also was a firefighter, um, you know, previously in her career, but now she's kind of, like, doing this, so a teenage murder, a teenage murder, oh, a <laughs> A teenage murder witness finds himself uh, pursued by twin assassins in the Montana wilderness with a survival expert tasked with protecting him and a forest fire threatening to consume them all. Now, this one is directed by and written by uh, Taylor Sheridan. Uh, well, co-written by Taylor Sheridan, but he directed it. Taylor Sheridan, if you, do, if you do not know him, he has brought us... I, I think this guy is pretty solid for the most part. Um, Hell or High Water, Wind River, you know, he's behind Yellowstone... Sicario, this guy, I just, I like his style. Uh, he just creates really solid, entertaining movies. I mean, even with this one, which I think, well, I take that back. Is Wind River the weakest? I think Wind River still might be my least favorite. But even with Those Who Wish Me Dead, it's still entertaining enough to where you have the the swiftness of a Taylor Sheridan script, and even with the direction. You have the the on-screen dominance and the presence of Angelina Jolie. I mean, there's really nothing like fantastic about this one. There's really nothing bad about it. It's just kind of like, it's a solid little thriller. It's a very simple story. It sets it up very quickly in the beginning, and then it just starts rolling downhill from there. But that's the whole point. It's These assassins are chasing down this kid, well, at the same time, they start the forest fire, so they got to put that out as well. So it's just a a five-hour alarm, if you will, of a movie, pun intended, where something big is happening and people are trying to run away and get to safety. 
that's all it is. Really nothing uh, too crazy, but there is some character development with like Angelina Jolie's character and some of the things that have happened in her past with her career. She is trying to s still get over that in some way, shape, or form, and it is weighing down on her emotionally, and she's carrying that baggage with her while she's protecting this kid, and she's kind of uh, getting over that as well. John Bernthal's in it. I uh, really liked him. Oh, man. Lost my place here on IMDb. Excuse me. Uh, Nicholas Holt um, plays one of the assassins. Always fun to watch. Kind of reminds me of his character in The Great. Watch that on Hulu if you haven't. Uh, uh, Aiden Gillen. I think that's how you pronounce it. He's the other assassin. He's the little finger on Game of Thrones. Once again, kind of reminds me of that character. So they're both a-holes. <laughs> so, and they, they sell it very well. And then, um, is this... Yes, this is the actress that plays John Bernthal's uh, wife, Medina uh, Sanghor. Uh, she was fantastic. I would watch anything with her in it. Um, really kind of sold the just the the power that that character had because she was pregnant and people took advantage of her because of that. But she showed up and she was like, excuse you, none of that. <laughs> she was like kicking some butt and I was like, that's fantastic. Tyler Perry's in it uh, for a scene. Take that for what you will. I don't, I don't know what you do with that information. But, um, yeah, everyone, uh, I, I think, uh, gets in, slips into the roles nicely. It's a solid little thriller. I think uh, if, if it's still on HBO Max, check it out. Uh, I don't think it's theater-worthy. I think just like with Mortal Kombat, I think you can get away with watching this one at home. Um, but, yeah, you know, not my favorite uh Taylor Sheridan script, but, um, or, or even directing, uh, wait, is this his first directing? Did he direct one before this? I'm losing my, my mind. No, he directed Wind River. That's what I thought. So, uh, and he, he's directed a lot of his, uh, episodes of Yellowstone, but as far as movies go, you know, Wind River, even Wind River's not his first one. My goodness. I'm just, I'm just losing it. He directed this movie called Vile. That looks... That's like a straight-up like slasher film. Uh, anyways, yeah. So, Wind River was the first time I saw him direct uh, anything. And I thought it was a well-directed film. I just didn't really care for everything that was happening. It was just one of those things where, kind of forgettable. You know, you saw it in theaters, and you're like, that was interesting. And then you realize that I'm still going to give this guy plenty of chances because... He has written like Sicario, Hell or High Water. I love this guy. He 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 can do no wrong in my book. Um, in terms of like awful stuff, I've never seen anything from this man, written wise or directing wise, where I was just like, well, flat out bad. Um, he, ooh, he even did the Tom Clancy film with uh, Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> Check that out. Um, yeah, you know, if you if you catch it on HBO Max, watch it. You know, I don't think it's a waste of anyone's time, uh, but it is. Um, my second to least favorite of uh, the bunch of his, but still a pretty solid movie. Okay, moving on to... Let's do... Let's do Cruella. So, <sighs> the live-action prequel uh, featuring the young Cruella DeVille, the villain in the 101 Dalmatians and 102 Dalmatians, respectively, uh, of those movies, you know, Glenn Close played the iconic character back in the day. I was a kid when I watched those. Love those films. So seeing this with Emma Stone, I was curious. Uh, I didn't really care for the trailers, to be honest with you. 
kind of just looked very blah and looked like a waste of money <laughs> to me. But I was willing to keep a a you know open mind to see where it would, where it could go. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, these three that I have literally just talked about for the last fifteen minutes, there's really nothing to expand on because there's nothing to talk about. It's just kind of like they're they're there. They were, you know, there's some good parts or some okay parts, but when you're done with them, there's really not like that that thing that draws you back to them, where you want to rewatch it, where you want to examine it, and you want to see the things that you miss, the things that you can appreciate more. It's just not there. Cruel is the same thing. Emma Stone and Emma Thompson, the best things about this movie. Oh my God, Emma Thompson can chew that scenery. And she is quite the villain in this one. Yes, she's even worse than Cruella. Um, at least with Cruella in the beginning, it's like there's some stuff that could be redeemed with this person. Emma Thompson's character, without spoiling anything, nothing redeemable. She's just an awful human. <laughs> so uh, there is that. But yes, the performances are really, really good. And there's even some moments where Emma Stone was crushing it. Because this is a character that you have to you have to kind of do a lot with. You know, this is not, you know, some black and white pun intended once again, there you go. A black and white villain that's just gonna be it's all bad and just bad, 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 or you know, you know, they're good, but they're misunderstood. It's like they're they're there's a lot of stuff weaving in and out of this person's life to get her to this point, and there's a lot of things you can kind of understand, like you can um, you can feel for her. You can empathize with her. And then there's some stuff where she does go overboard. And you're like, well, she was kind of an anti-hero, but now this thing has kind of pushed her towards the villain side. But, you know, she kind of redeems herself a little bit, so she kind of goes into that gray zone. So I, I like that. I like that exploration of this character and kind of diving into that. Now, let's rewind it a little bit. This is Disney, after all. They're not going to go, like, super dark or hardcore with it. Yes, it is PG-13, but it's a very light PG-13. Um, but could you take this character into a completely dark direction and make it a little bit more uh, character-focused? Absolutely. But as far as a blockbuster Disney film that's attempting to do something with a very dark character, it's fine. They could have done more with it. I do like the first half a lot more than the second half. I thought the first half with like her as a, as a child... And uh, spoiler alert, she loses her mother. She's an orphan. That's why she ends up uh, where she's at. But, um, you know, her just finding her way uh, around the city, becoming friends with the the two guys, and they have to steal stuff to, like, just survive. And, like, just seeing her kind of grow up and being thrown into, like, this job where, you know, it can kind of get her towards her fashion goals. Like, that stuff was all interesting, and it kind of loses steam a little bit. And I think the third act... Um, it does pick up just a little bit, so it's it's kind of a rocky roller coaster. But I ended up thinking it was okay to slightly liking it. Um, they are developing a sequel to this film, and I'd watch it. Sure, uh, the end credit scene was enticing, so I'll give it that. But um, yeah, I just uh, it, it's once again kind of flew in one ear and out the other. There was a lot of things I did like, though. Um, the production design, exquisite great stuff when you're dealing with something in the i believe it was in the 60s or 70s it was um set place in anyways the fashion was immaculate i loved it Pro production design the sets everything 
was just was just uh, you know really nice to look at, and I, I really thought they captured the era and the period very well. And it just it looked like a grander movie than it should have. Like I, I just I love the it was it London uh, the city the streets of London and just the you know, the, the store that she was working in, the loft that they were in, just everything about it just really added, you know, the charm and the touch that you need to add to this film to make it better than it is because it's one of those things to where this could get boring very, very quickly, but at least from a production design standpoint and costuming, it's pretty great eye candy. And uh, I think that paired with the performances, they push this movie to me liking a little bit more than some people. Um, but if those things were not hitting on all cylinders, this movie would have fell flat for me. But yeah, uh, is it worth... So the question is, is it worth the 30 bucks on Disney Plus? I would say so. It's not a ringing endorsement, but I'd say so. Um, but if you want to wait until it hits Disney Plus for free, then you'll have to wait a couple months. But, you know, I, I like the kind of punk rock attitude that this movie had, just kind of like... It gives no S's, basically, which is awesome. So I, I do appreciate that. Kind of a very a very confident movie, I'll say that. So, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, Cruella there. So Cruella DeVille. 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 Is that what the joke was? Yeah, I think that was the joke in the movie. Uh, anyways, uh, so that is the, the uh, first half of this podcast. I went over Mortal Kombat, Those Who Wish Me Dead, and Cruella. Uh, two of them went to HBO Max. I know Mortal Kombat's off of it. I think Those Who Wish Me Dead are, is probably off of it as well. Uh, but Cruella is uh, for purchase on Disney Plus for 30 bucks, or you can go see it in theaters. Uh, I think the other two are still playing in theaters as well. But that is it for the first half of Real Me and Cold Movie Podcast, episode 323. I am Chase, and tune in uh, for the second half here where I'm, I'm going to go over Army of the Dead and The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. So, uh, yeah, stay Stay tuned. I just, I don't know how to transition these things. Welcome back to part two of episode 323 of the Real Me and Colin Movie Podcast. Let's keep this review train going. So, the last two I wanted to talk about before I wrap this up is Army of the Dead and The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. The third film in The Conjuring franchise so let's start with army of the dead so this one released uh in theaters a week before its netflix release um yeah i i, I don't know where i was going with that anyways it's uh, directed by Zack snyder who we all know uh made a fantastic superhero uh movie earlier this year with justice league the snyder cut that was a thousand times better than the original cut but um yeah i started out with this man's career watching Dawn of the Dead. I still remember watching that. I had to thank Zack Snyder quite a bit. Uh, people are going to probably cringe when I say this, but I'm going to thank him quite a bit because when I watched Dawn of the Dead, when I was like, what, 13 or 14, I was introduced to da uh, Disturbed for the first time. The iconic Down with the Sickness song that played during the credits, and that kind of got me into more of that style of music, and I like Disturbed, and you know, I, I ventured off and listened to other ones uh, within that same genre, so I thank him for that. But Dawn of the Dead is a really great uh, zombie film, and I would say it's, you know, it's on par with the original. I like the original for what it is, but Zack Snyder took something uh, and 
made it his own, made it different, made the zombies terrifying by, by having them run like 200 miles per hour, which is funny when you think about it, because aren't their bodies like decomposing? And so like if they're running like super fast, you figure the the skin on their bodies would not hold it and they would just like, can you imagine like a, a zombie like running super fast and like the, the hands are going like, you know, like a, like a sprinter or something like, but like, is their skin like not holding? Like you figure their arms would just kind of like fall off or something like going that fast. I don't know. I, was that like a scientist question or I don't even know Uh physics question. I, who knows? Who knows the actual rules of zombies? But anyways, I was just a random thought. But yes, Army of the Dead, uh, following a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble, venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted. You're probably thinking to yourself, why on earth are they trying to steal money during a zombie apocalypse when they're the only humans? What does the money serve? That's a good question because I had the same thing floating through my noggin before I watched this. The zombie outbreak is only in Las Vegas, and it's quarantined off from the rest of the world. So that makes more sense. So it hasn't gotten to the world yet. Uh, there is an end credit scene, and maybe what I just said doesn't make any sense, but um, or not make any sense, but maybe just redacted because it might spread to the world. But yeah, it's just a Vegas thing. So the heist makes more sense now. It's a great idea, though. Um, so I'll, I'll give them that regardless of what I'm about to say about it. But yeah, so that is the synopsis. Stars Dave Bautista. Uh, he is the lead character. Uh, you have Ella Purnell, uh, who plays his daughter in the film. Uh, uh, Amari Hardwick. Uh, Ana de la, de la Reguera. Uh, Theo Rossi. Matthias. Uh, Schwingoffer? Swingoffer. Oh, I'm going to get obliterated in the comments. Um, Nora Arnazader. Uh, who am I missing in the group? Tig uh, Nataro. Is he a part of the group? Oh, Garrett Delahunt. Raul Castillo. Uh, am I Alright. I've already embarrassed myself too much. Anyways, uh, those are the majority of the people in the group of mercenaries that are going throughout this mission. So you have to have a great group dynamic, a great chemistry uh, when you're making these types of films because it's not just about the blood, gore, and the the violence, which, you know, that's what we see zombie movies for. We want to see zombies' heads blow up. Um, But with this type of group, you need to have a good dynamic. And I think for the most part, Everyone's characters stood out. They had personality to them, and they, you know, were able to carry the story and make it entertaining to watch. Um, were there some characters that were absolutely just annoying? Sure, but who's not going to be annoying in a zombie apocalypse? You could literally have a zombie chewing off someone's arm, and they're still going to be an a-hole, and like nothing's going to change about them. It's just like that's just who they are. But I think for the most part. Everyone was really fun to watch, and uh, I really liked the group dynamic in uh, this film. I think the the action sequences are really fun to watch. You know, it's a zombie film. You got to make them creative. And, of course, Zack Snyder with his, his slow motion. Um, there's not a lot of it, but uh, where it is effective, 
really cool to watch because it really just kind of adds to the suspense and the the threat level that these characters are going through. Seeing someone run in slow motion, you have like a like a horde of zombies in the back. Um, you know, it just it just uh, makes the suspense more palpable. But um, yeah, uh, really fun to watch in that regard. I like the setting of Vegas. Uh, really cool, something different for this type of genre. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's put together really well. Um, I, I didn't really find any dull moments with it. But Zack Snyder always runs his movies up to like an 11 out of 10 each time. So um, that's not to say this movie doesn't have its, its slower moments. So there's a lot of, you know, moments between like Dave Bautista and Ella Purnell's character and like the, the father-daughter dynamic. Um, you know, Ella Purnell and like some of the friends that she has in the camp that she talks to, that dynamic. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of sweet kind of human moments that we get uh, to kind of break up the chaos and the absolute uh, zombie energy going on because you can't have it go at a thousand miles per hour without having some breathing room. Zack Snyder knows that. That's why he does what he does. But, um, you know, he has those moments for sure. But for the most part, this is a very swift movie. I, I, I found it to be very entertaining, um, no doubt. Um, the one thing I did not like about the film is the cinematography, which is interesting because Zack Snyder is the cinematographer on this film. So I do not mind depth of field where or extreme depth of field where a character is in focus in the front of the shot and everything else behind them is blurry out of focus so you you really kind of accentuate the the character and it really has you focus on like what they're saying and the dialogue and just the you know the the, the focus is on them i don't mind that you know it, it's a technique that can be used to enhance a story to enhance a moment a a, a scene you know to really kind of bring everything else around the character you know, out of focus, away from them, and you concentrate on them. I get why it's used. I, I'm not an idiot. But, oh my God, every almost every single shot in this film is that. Where it's so out of focus, and that depth of field is so crazy behind them that it almost looks like they are green screened and like the there's a gaussian blur behind them that just doesn't doesn't uh what, what am i trying to say that that doesn't you know go away it's just it's constantly there but like all the characters are in focus it just it's a bit much and it's a strain on the eye and it just it takes you out of it i thought i was gonna get used to it as the movie kept going on but i did not <laughs> so yeah that's my only like real complaint about it um is just the the cinematography of it is there are a couple cool things for sure but like for the most part that extreme depth of field can get very very like straining on the eye and I just don't think it's pleasant to look at sometimes especially there for instance when they're about to go on the mission and they're in this camp um it's in the desert right so the camp is is brown and gray and bland and you know the ground is is brown and sandy and gray and bland and like everything around it, it's just muddy so it like when it's all out of focus and it's just muddy this bland muddiness behind them it is so unflattering to look at so that's just an example and like that drove me nuts and I was like please tell me it gets better and it did not 
Um, couple cool shots for sure, but I'm just not a fan of that really extreme depth of field throughout the entire movie. And this is a two hour plus movie, so you got to really kind of calm that down. Uh, but it's on Netflix. It's a, it's a streaming film. It's not, I don't really think you had to see it in theaters because it did play in theaters for a week. It's serviceable. And there are some moments that I really, really dug and really, really enjoyed. And there's an end credit scene. They want to make a sequel to this. I'm 100% down for it. Um, but it is not a zombie film I'm going to like want to pop on occasionally. Like Zack's Dawn of the Dead. I have seen that a million times. Love it every single time. This is something where it's like, that was fine to watch a first time. Don't really care to watch it again. If someone suggests it, I'm not going to say no. But it's not my first choice. So... That's kind of my thoughts on Army of the Dead. And the movie that just came out, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, another theater and HBO Max day and date release. Here we go. I love The Conjuring movies. I like one quite a bit. I love two. I like Annabelle Creation. I have not liked any of the other spinoffs. I hated The Nun. I don't like um, The Curse of La Llorona, which, uh, you know, the director of that directed this one, the newest Conjuring film. Uh, I never saw the first Annabelle, but people said it was awful. Never saw the third Annabelle. Uh, I, I mentioned The Nun. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of the spinoff films, but the the actual like Conjuring installments I've really enjoyed. And I really love the second one. So the Conjuring, the Devil made me do it. You know, it's based on a real life case. Well, most of these are based on you know cases that the Warrens um, did. I know there's like a whole controversy on Twitter right now and with how you know the Warrens, uh, you know, being fraudsters, if you will, and it's just like they're both gone at this point. I just these are entertaining movies. I just unless it, it, unless it's physically hurting someone who's actually like still alive and it's like slandering their name, and they might be. Uh, please drop that down below if if it's, there's actual slander going on. But for the most part, I just view these entertaining movies. But yes, I'm, I'm well aware of the uh, I guess film controversy online. So the Conjuring: The Devil Made Me Do It is the third one in the Conjuring uh, installments. Uh, the Warrens investigate a murder that may be linked to a demonic possession, a iconic case where the person who was in question of the murder said that he was possessed and the devil made him do it. And so the Warrens are trying to, um, you know, figure out like if it's true demonic possession or if it was all him. So that's basically what it is. I think this is the weakest one out of the three. And when this was done, I turned to my wife and I said, I don't remember much about this one. And to be quite frank, I have no desire to watch it again. At least with like the first one and the second one, I have the, this urge. As soon as like they're done, I'm just like, I, I cannot wait to watch that next Halloween or I can't wait to watch that on another like creepy night out and like you just want to get like scared out of your mind. Like I can't wait to pop those in again. But there was nothing about this third one that made me had any type of inkling to watch it again. And that is really sad because I think the first two are really great. Um, as pe- I-, I love people's description of these movies. They're fast food horror films. Hey, everyone likes fast food sometimes. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I-, I think movies like Hereditary, 
are, are one of the, like the best ones in like the past like 10 years. I also think the Conjury and the Conjury Two are one of the best ones in the past 10 years, but I know that they're completely different styles and, you know, the artist's prestige, if you will. Like, I get it. The Conjuring films are, they're like fast food entertainment. But once again, who doesn't like fast food every once in a while? Um, so I know that's how people compare them, but like, whatever. But yeah, for this one, I just, I felt like there was something missing. There was that magic that the first two had. And it might be because James Wan did not direct this one. And the director of it, uh, give me a couple seconds here, uh, Michael Chaves, who directed The Curse of La Llorona, did not like that one. I just felt like there was there was that that spark missing. The, the wonderful tension that brims in the air of these films. The way the camera moves, the way it's edited to precision to get the full maximum effect of the jump scare or the maximum effect of the reveal in the room or the way the sound design drops sound completely and kind of like comes back up or maybe trickles in with something kind of light and in the background. It kind of spooks you out a little bit because you don't know what it is. That's what makes the first two so great. I realize that they're pretty simple. Haunted house, warrants come over to investigate it, and spooky stuff happens. I get it. They're simple. But there's something about the way those things are shot, and the way they're pieced together, and the way the sound design kind of comes together to create an experience. I felt like that was missing with this third one. So that's like the major strike against it. Another thing is... The I would say like there's bits and pieces that I like about this movie, and then it completely kind of goes off the rails and is a little too goofy for my taste, even with this film and these these films in this universe. They just I don't know, it just didn't really it didn't feel like a conjuring film. It felt like I don't know, like some random horror film that a studio pumped out and was just like, ooh, isn't this kind of spooky? And just like, no, this is kind of weird because it doesn't it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. So yeah, I thought like the opening scene was great with like the, the demonic possession. I was like, there's like bits and pieces of like what James Wan would do is so I was like, perfect. It, we're in good standings. Like this is, this is where it's going to go. And like the story was interesting for a little bit. And then it just started getting a little too ridiculous and like supernatural and like almost like fantasy like, and you're like, this doesn't feel like a conjuring film. It's just so weird. And like the whole third act with like the final boss climax. It's weird. <laughs> I like I I don't know. It's our good buddy Joel, uh co-host of this show. Uh he put on his Twitter, he said, you know, it didn't know what it wanted to be. And he even texted Brian and myself and he was like, it really just had no clue which direction wanted to go. And I think that's like the best way to sum it up. It's like, there are some interesting ideas here and there's a lot of great things presented in this film. Even the beginning was great and it kind of like, it got off to a great start with like the murder and like, you know, did this guy actually do this? Was he possessed by a demon? And then like those, you know, like questions of doubt and everything like that was great. But like, they made the courtroom scenes like 30 seconds long and they concentrated on other things to pad out the story. I would have much rather have seen the the trial of this film 
And I know it's going in a completely different direction. I know a lot of people are even complaining that this movie went in a completely different direction, didn't have as many scares. It was it was just completely different. And of course, it's got a different director with it. So it's going to have like a different style to it. I'm open to it. But I just didn't really think all of it kind of like came together as well as it should have. If Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson were not as good as they are as the Warrens, these movies would fail uh, at, at the beginning of all of this with the first one. But they're so fun to watch. And like, even with the goofiness of this one, they still sell it. And I, I really like watching them together. They have wonderful chemistry um, as a married couple, as just a great team to solve uh, a mystery. I love watching both of them in these movies. If they keep making these, am I still going to watch them? Absolutely. Just because this one's a bump in the road does not mean I'm done with these movies. But as far as the three go, this is the weakest one by far. Um, and I have no desire to watch it again, even though like I want to watch like the first one, the second one again to, you know, kind of dive into them a little bit more and like kind of understand how certain scenes were put together. I just have no desire. None of that with this. So it's on HBO Max right now. If you guys want to check it out, uh, go nuts. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's the review of The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. So you're probably thinking like, what what is the what is the secret thing that I'm going to review, and like why why is this what I'm about to talk about like one of the better things I've seen this year, and it's way better than anything I'm talking about in this episode. Well, it might be a comedy special on Netflix. That's right. It's Bo Burnham inside. We're going to talk about that right after the break. And welcome back to the last part of episode 323 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. I gave you five reviews, so I figured, why not? Let's keep going. So... I think one of the best things I have seen this year thus far that has made me laugh, has made me cry, and is so creative on how it was put together as a comedy special, and just, I would even say a film, like, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing that all this was pretty much done by Bo Burnham. Um, He shot the entire thing, and he edited the entire thing, of course, he writes all of his own material, he acts in it, he's directing it like he's got to figure out like the right rhythm and pace to it the guy's phenomenal and I think he really did pump out one of the best things that this year has had to offer because it really kind of encapsulates like what has been going on the past year and a half and just the the chaos the sadness just the overwhelming anxiety and panic that this world has made us go through and I think he really kind of captures that. Uh, not not kind of, he does. Really captures that feeling of misery and dread and just happiness and laughter and sadness. And it, it touched me in a way that nothing has been able to do that this year thus far. But it was really beautiful, man. It was one of my favorite stand-up specials I've ever seen. Like... It might be my favorite one I've ever seen. Like that, this is an insane, like how this thing was was just executed. But I think Bo Burnham, obviously the star, 
in front of and behind the camera, fantastic. I mean, this guy is super creative, and I think, I think just directing his uh, his first film with Eighth Grade, which is also a great film, uh, a twenty four release. He really understands uh, more about cinematography and more just about uh, visual aesthetic. And I think taking that experience from what he's done in his previous stand-up specials and directing his first movie and him being stuck inside this house over the course of, I think it was like nine months to a year and pumping out and documenting just what he's going through, like what his headspace is like. He's performing comedy bits and some of the songs are awesome. But he's also going through some mental trauma being stuck inside like this. And how some of us might have gone through that same trauma, you know, maybe being stuck inside. And yes, I realize there was a pandemic going on, but anxiety and panic attacks are very real for some people. And being inside like that might cause that to be worse. And so mental breakdowns might happen more often. And there was one moment where Bo breaks down. He's like, I, he's like, I can't do this anymore. And he starts crying on camera. And you can tell right there in that moment, that is a genuine thing that is happening to this person. And you feel for him. I just, ugh. like thinking about it now just makes me tear up, but it is a wonderful special. It, it is catchy at, t- at times with the songs. I cannot believe that he writes his own stuff like that. It's just incredible. But just the the real kind of like interconnection and the emotional connection that we feel with Bo as we're watching. Because it's an hour and a half long. It's a long special. And you go on this journey with this person. This isn't like, you know, you, haha, tell jokes and like, you know, move on to the next bit. Like there's stuff in between that doesn't really make sense with, you know, a traditional stand-up special. But he films it and he puts it in there to show the kind of like mental deterioration that he's going through at the same time. Anyone could go crazy, you know, being stuck inside of a a small area like that, trying to pump out an hour and a half special, filming everything, performing everything. Like it's, it's creatively taxing on your brain. And like, it's, it's not healthy. It really isn't. But he pushed through and he pumped it out, man. And I... I give him so much credit for it. It is. Thank you, Bo, for creating something that was pretty memorable. And like I said, one of my favorite stand-up specials of all time. It just, I was blown away. Um, So if you will, if you want to laugh, if you want to cry, if you want to understand, you know, the headspace of someone, the mentality that someone is, is going through with isolation Give it a watch. I think you will be pleasantly surprised that a stand-up special is that good and might be one of your favorite things this year. So that is my uh, review of Bo Burnham Inside, one of my favorites of this year so far. But that will do it, guys. Episode 323 of Real Me and Colin Movie Podcast is in the bag, and I really appreciate every single one of you for tuning in and listening to me ramble about just whatever I've seen the past two months. But I would like to do more of a consistent schedule now, even though I'm not like technically in my office, you know, uh, right now, I would like to 
do more reviews. You know, In the Heights is coming out soon. Loki is dropping, you know, this week. I got access to the first two episodes. I want to kind of do that weekly. Maybe do more TV shows as well. So I want to kind of just do it, man. I want to go in full throttle. I'm not going to do these long compilation ones as much. I'm going to try to break them up as much as I can. Um, But I just thought for the sake of the time that I have right now, today, I'd rather just rip it and do all of them. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, do my best guys. So please bear with me. And, uh, I, I really just appreciate every single one of you, you guys make this a, a whole lot of fun. And I, I truly mean that it, it's tough for me to sometimes to mentally get there and be, be prepared to go on camera and on the mic and riff for an hour. That's, that's tough to do. Um, but I, I, I do think every single one of you out there that listen to it, you guys, you guys help, you guys help me do that. So, um, I feel motivated now. I feel, I feel like I'm ready to get back in there. So guys, gals, whoever's listening, let's do this. Um, yeah, I can't wait. So let's, let's jump back into it. But you know, I definitely won't have any like month or two month breaks. I say that now and then I'm gone for like five years and you, you, you guys are just like, I'm done. <laughs> so, but no, it, it shouldn't be that long of a gap between this episode and like, you know, uh, some future episodes and everything. I'm just going to try to get back into requesting screeners and everything and, you know, just see where it goes. So thank you for tuning in and listening to Real Man and Culinary Movie Podcast. I am Chase Lee. This is episode 323. You guys are awesome. And uh, let me know down below what you guys have been watching. Reach out to me, whatever. I'm always here uh, to listen. So, yeah, until next time, see you later.